Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. All right, take your Bible and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, there's an old country preacher that delivered a sermon like this one this morning, and uh, it was on giving, so way to go. You picked the best Sunday of the year to visit if this is your first time. But that old preacher said, now church, you know we've got somewhere to go. We need the church to walk. Well, the deacons, they were on board with that. They started talking back to the preacher. Come on, Reverend, let the church walk, they said. The preacher said, we've got to start moving. The deacons chattered back. Come on, preacher, let it walk. The preacher saw that he had the deacons behind him. They were on board. This is good with a sermon on giving. So with the deacons behind him, he said, and then after a little while of walking, We've got to run. The deacons, again, chattered back. Yes, let the church run. Well, he went on, getting the congregation fired up, the deacons fired up, more excited as he continued. Then after we run for a little while, it's time for the church to fly. The church has got to fly. The deacons said, yes, reverend, we've got to fly. Oh, we've got to fly. I'll fly away. And the preacher said, well, you know, it's going to take money for the church to fly. To which the deacons responded, now, preacher, we've got to walk. We've got to walk. <laughs> Our runway this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Our landing spot is chapter 9. Lots of principles found on giving in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And it's important because we are about two months away from our new budget coming out and some changes happening there. Not big changes, but uh, adjusting our timeline of the budget rather than the middle of the year to a January to December timeline instead of July to June. And some other things that we've been, uh, that we're working through, particularly the Family Life Center, the gym, um, I don't like just calling it a gym because it's going to be so much more than a gym. Um, there's going to be lots to do out there. Um, but we've, we've got a lot in front of us. And we need to remember or perhaps learn for the first time what our biblical responsibility is as the church when it comes to our resources and it comes to the church. There's lots of things to get excited about, but a, mon- a sermon on money and, and giving is not one of them. Right? This is the one sermon I dread. Give me any other sermon. I'll preach it. I've preached through the Revelation. I'll preach it again, but don't make me preach on giving. I despise preaching on giving, but it's biblical concept, so we're going to plow through it. The reason why I don't like that, one, is because people who visit the church for the first time, well, I'm never going back because the preacher's always asking for money. It's like they always hit the Sunday, the preacher's asking for money. So, you know, I've done this a couple times since we've been here now, but... What really bothers me about it is that it shows me where my heart is. Because how we spend our treasure shows where our heart is. How we spend reflects our character. 
For the Christian, how we give reflects how much we value the grace of God lavished upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. So let me lay aside some things for you that you may have heard in the past and share my heart on giving with you. The Old Testament standard we always go back to is 10%, 10%, 10% the tithe. And it's there in the Old Testament. But 10%, that's a bare minimum. If you go back and study and you want to get legalistic about it, that number is actually calculated annually somewhere between 23 and 30%. Depends on which year you're in as to which offering you're giving and to how many. So consider that amount, 10% versus 23 to 30%. So every time you read in the Old Testament, tithe this, tithe that, it's not necessarily talking about the same offering. There's more than just one. And some of us love to throw that bring your tithe to the storehouse verse around like it's some kind of key to spiritual growth and following Jesus. It isn't. It is a biblical standard, but not the only Old Testament requirement for giving. For Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, he complimented the Pharisees on their tithing. They were practicing the 10% or slightly more than that. But if you read in Matthew chapter 23, what they totally missed out on were things of the heart, which Jesus had already taught that parable, and that gave us, it's not a parable, he's watching the folks come in and give money in the temple, and the, the, the wealthier Jews are coming in, dropping in their large amounts of money, but here comes the widow, and she gave two mites, basically a penny, everything she had. She gave out of everything she had. She gave everything she had versus those who were coming in with everything giving just a little bit, the minimum requirement. The Pharisees missed on the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The widow got it right in her heart. And other than that moment of Matthew 23, the New Testament doesn't really use the word tithe anywhere. We don't see it in the book of Acts. We don't see it... And in other places, we see the church selling what they had and giving to one another as they had need so that needs were met. But there's no 10% requirement. So what is the matter this morning with giving? It is that it's a matter of the heart. It always is a matter of the heart. What you do see in moments like Mark chapter 12 where Jesus is watching the widow, he says, he points her out, It's worth a fraction of a penny of what she had, but she gave all because she loved her God. And what Jesus understood and relates to us today is that even in her, even though her amount was small compared to the wealthier folks, her heart was more giving because she gave a larger percentage of what she had because she loved her God. Her giving was in proportion to her love for her Lord and to his grace and mercy. There are many today, especially in our economy with costs going up, I can't afford 10% of my income, but this lady knew she could not afford not to. So what does Paul have to say? We look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He's writing about a couple of churches. One, you've got the church of Macedonia. He's nothing like the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth has it all. They've got every bell and whistle you could imagine if we could relay it in our terms today. The church in Macedonia... They don't. In fact, they're in hardship. They're in affliction. 
So the church in Corinth is kind of like the wealthy coming in, giving their offering. And the church in Macedonia, in my mind, is like the widow who came and gave all. Paul has much to say to us, and I think you might recognize some of what he has to say, but I'll share with you what the Lord has said to me this week, that he continues to move me personally deeper into his grace, into his grace for Chris the sinner, that he is working in my life to show me his grace to the answer why. Why? Why do we give to the church? Because I could put that money in a bank account or savings account or buy some gold with it when I saved up enough and make some money, I could invest it. But why give to the church? I think Paul has answers for us. Second Corinthians chapter eight says, we want you to know, brothers, this is verse one, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, we come in a spirit of humility, knowing that you are our provider. Father, that you have given so graciously for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and that daily our needs would be met because you, as you care for the sparrow, as you clothe the flowers of the field, as you feed and do all the things that your creation needs to be sustained, You love us all the more, and you care for us. So, Father, out of your generosity, I pray that you would continue to grow in us a spirit and a heart of generosity and a heart of giving out of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, what Paul is calling us to do here is to give graciously. He's calling on the church in Corinth to give graciously. He calls it there in verse 6, this act of grace. The Corinthians had already committed to supporting that fellow, uh, their fellow Christians in Jerusalem. It's not about the church in Macedonia. It's about what's happening in Jerusalem. In, in Jerusalem, the land had fallen on hard times. There's a regional famine, much like what we experience in South Texas with our summertime droughts, and we long for the rains to come and water our yards so we don't have to pay the city water bill. You get what I'm saying? Like We understand when they fall on hard times, but these folks are in a difficult time. Not only are they in a regional famine, but they're also experiencing persecution because they are the church. And so this offering that Paul is speaking of is an offering, it's a relief offering for the church in Jerusalem. Jesus taught, as Paul quoted in Acts chapter 20, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he's trying to relay this to the church in Corinth. And so for Paul, the offering would also not only provide for the needs in Jerusalem, but it would also solidify the unity of the church, the unity between the Jewish believers of Jerusalem and the Gentile believers of Corinth, of Macedonia, basically of anywhere outside of Jerusalem. You can look at the cooperative program that we give to. There's 40,000 plus other churches in the United States that we cooperate with to help fund missions 
to help send missionaries around the world and to help plant new churches in the United States. When you see a disaster, that those disaster relief teams are on the scene. Why? Because churches like ours have put all, not all of our money, but a portion of our money into a big pot together where they can hand it out. When you see a, a, a young man called into ministry or now a, a young woman called into ministry and they go to seminary, half of that seminary tuition is paid for because of the cooperative program. We got families that are, who are out there working on adoption that through Send Relief, through the North American Mission Board, are able to receive a grant to help fund adoptions. It's amazing what we can do when we cooperate together, and that is exactly what Paul is doing, and that's at least one of his goals, is to solidify that unity of the church because there's been so much division between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. But what's happening with Corinth is that they're lagging behind. And Paul knew it. Every, this, every preacher learns that sometimes it's difficult to motivate people to give their money to an offering. And so Paul's taking it to a next level. And he's reminding them of the dynamic of giving. The dynamic of giving is grace. We no longer give out of obligation or because it's a law. We give because of grace. In verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. You see that Paul did not make his appeal based on a rule or a law. Thou shalt give 10%. If I had sound effects, we'd have had lightning and tablets and all kinds of cool things going off. <laughs> like Moses, you know. And, but he doesn't do that, does he? He didn't do that at all. He didn't read any of the law to remind them. Or to motivate them. He didn't go back to Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek. That's way back. Why not turn to the one, rather, who gave everything as an example for us who claim to follow him as the example to follow? He didn't mention the church turning a prophet, did he? We are a for-profit. We need to keep our prophets up. We need to keep our bottom line up above a certain level. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to invest it this way. Invest it that way. The government classifies us as a nonprofit, which is kind of a frustrating term as well because we get lumped in with all the other nonprofits. We're not even a nonprofit, we're the church. If there's excess stored up, you better believe there's a rainy day coming. It's not for our profit. You know the story of why God sent Joseph into Egypt? You know that story? Joseph was able to interpret dreams, God had given him that gift. And because of that dream, he knew that, that there would be seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. God sent Joseph ahead for such a time as that when his family would be able to come out of, out of Israel or what would become Israel out of the, the promised land and come into Egypt and they would be able to, they had everything they needed provided for. Why? Because God sent Joseph ahead to save for seven years of famine. There was no, we need to hold on to this for a crisis. They were in a crisis. And in that crisis, God had provided everything they needed. There was no mention by Paul of bargaining with God as the motive. Give because we're a for-profit. No, that's not what he said. Give so that you can bargain with God. God, I'll put this $10 bill in, inflation, $13.50 in today. If you'll give me that. No, there's no, I'll give this much if you bless me with that much. 
Friends, when you look into the New Testament, the motive in giving, and really even the heart of the Old Testament, the motive in giving is solely because of God's grace. We give because he has given so much. He gave all. And giving an offering, it is in response to God's grace. It is a response of gratitude and thanksgiving for the blessings that we have received from God. And it should not be an attempt to get more from God. The grace of God is not only seen in their salvation, but friends, the grace of God is also seen in how the churches of Macedonia responded to help others. Look again at verse 2. Okay, the churches of Macedonia, they don't have all the bells and whistles. They're going through an even harder time. Look, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In verse 7, Paul says, Corinthians, you guys have it all. You have faith, you have speech, you have knowledge, you have eagerness, you have love. He's really kind of hitting on all of those spiritual gifts, if you'll think back. See to it that you don't miss this opportunity to excel in this act of grace also. Friends, let's think about grace for a moment. Grace is unmerited favor. The Macedonians were deep in affliction. We don't know all that they were going through, but Paul uses that as deep affliction, severe affliction. But they gave out of their abundance of joy and in their extreme poverty. That's why I say the churches of Macedonia are like the widow when Jesus is watching the people come into the temple giving. They don't have much, but what they have, they're giving. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? But that's God's math. God's math is great affliction times deep poverty plus grace equals abundant joy and a wealth of generosity. Now, if you were to assign that uh, some kind of numerical value, I mean, it, the math wouldn't work out. But God's not bound to our systems of math. I don't even know what kind of math that is. I don't know if that calculus or what. It's giving me chills just thinking about it. Great affliction plus deep poverty plus grace equals abundant joy and a wealth of generosity. It makes absolutely zero sense. That's why circumstances that we find ourselves in are really not a good motivator to give either. Because you'll never have enough, yet grace, for the Christian, grace sets the pace. Because we'll never outgive God's generosity, we'll never outgive his grace. There's also the atmosphere of giving, if you'll notice again in chapter 8, verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Their atmosphere of giving is joy. That's really kind of where the heart is. They gave out of the abundance of their joy. Now, why are they excited? What, what, what has happened to them that they have joy in the midst of affliction. Doesn't that remind you of what James says? Count, consider it what? Joy. Pure joy when you encounter this test, this affliction. Pure joy. Why can they call it joy? Because their lives have been radically changed by Christ Jesus. That Christian experience of joy, it is not connected to those outward circumstances that we so often are told it must be connected to. The outward circumstances don't determine our joy. So the Macedonian believers, here they are in the middle of 
test and affliction and extreme poverty, and yet their generosity and their joy overflow. I like the way Oswald Chambers said it when it comes to this thought. He said, the surf that distresses an ordinary swimmer produces in the surfer the super joy of going clean through it. The things we try to avoid and fight against, tribulation, suffering, persecution, produce in us the super joy. They are things that we are not to fight against. Perhaps you've heard it, seen in that acrostic joy. Jesus, others, yourself. When we let the joy of Christ settle in our heart and we let his presence there and we rely on that presence, we live in that presence, we follow in that presence, joy begins to take over. And when we live that way, we find ourselves living in abundant joy. And it is the atmosphere and the attitude of our giving. Now, one last place. Let's talk about the attitude of giving. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> well, let me back up to verse 3 and read into it. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The attitude of giving is giving our life. It's a giving of our life. Giving in the Christian life involves a totality of our life. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. We need to grasp that stewardship truth, that giving truth, that giving in the Bible isn't just talking about money. It's not just talking about the dollar or coins or checks or credit cards or debit cards, whatever and however we might see our giving happen. You've probably heard the three T's of stewardship, time, talents, treasure. I think we see that in the Macedonian church. They're not just giving an offering, but they're giving their lives as an offering. They're serving the church, serving in the church. They are serving their Lord through the church. I would throw one more in there and call it truth, which is the gospel. We are also stewards of the truth, stewards of the gospel. When we're talking about giving, we're talking about our entire life. And the best person to see that in is our Lord. Friends, Jesus didn't just give us a tenth on the cross. When he said it is finished, he didn't just put in a tenth of himself to pay the wrath of God. He was all in. When he said it is finished, paid in full is what that means. Every ounce of God's wrath had been satisfied. It wasn't a bare minimum. It was the absolute maximum. He gave all he had. You know, we have places in the church right now where we have holes that need to be filled. If you look at your announcement sheet, there's a list right towards the top there of places where you can step in and serve. And I want you to go back to a couple Sundays ago when we talked on spiritual gifts. And if you did that survey that's still up on the website, on our, on our, on our homepage, you can go take that. If it's still there, I mean, if you've not taken it, I want you to take it because we've got places that need to be filled. And we'll not, get, we'll not see any growth, a whole lot of growth, until those places get filled. Because we got holes in ministry, and your staff, bless their hearts, can't do it all. Deacons can't do it all. Okay? There are plenty of places to help out. 
If you've got questions about that, find us one of our staff members, and we can help point you in the right direction. But we've got to give all time, talents, treasure, and the truth. Look at verse 9. Here's what I say, that Jesus gave all of himself. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's why I say he gave all. He gave all of himself. And by his act of giving, that can move you to go beyond the minimum. What if God had sent Jesus just to give, you the, bare, give the bare minimum in order to save you? That's not a salvation worth wanting. You want, you want to follow the one who gave everything, and that's Jesus. And this is why it's so important to grasp is we have, we have to respond to God's grace with sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. And if you're not there yet, if you're not there yet, pray that God will get you there so that you grasp the nature of the gospel because Jesus gave everything. We don't need a law which says thou shalt give 10%. We just need to experience the God-given extravagant grace through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, by the grace of God... Finish what you started. Look at verses 11 and following. Finish what you started. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So now, finish. Finish what is before you. And this is where I put the plea out to you. From November of 2021, we started the Rise Up campaign. We've been kind of bouncing around a little bit. We've had our posters up outside. But since November of 2021, since that very first one that I led, led you through, uh, we have seen over $250,000 given to complete the Family Life Center slash gym slash whatever we're going to call it. It's there, okay? God has used every penny to see that through. We still have more to go. We still have more to go. That's the cost of inflation. Because when I started this in 20, when we started this, or when I came in as your pastor, 250 was going to get us in. It's not going to get us in anymore. Why? Thanks, El Presidente and the economy, okay? It's, that's, that's the cost of doing business, all right? So I want this to encourage you, all right? We are debt-free. We don't walk in debt. We don't want to be in debt as a church. That's always been the heartbeat of Coastal Oaks Church. But it's going to cost us more the longer we wait. Okay? It's already happened. So if you've not been giving or you committed and it's been a while, when we, when we come on that first Sunday of June, now don't go take your vacation there because I just let it out of the bag, all right? <laughs> I'm watching. We take attendance. We got cameras. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we're going to have an in-gathering Sunday, June 7th, and that's the call. Not only to rise up, but hear the call of Paul. Finish what you started. That building has been a blessing to this community. There are a number of you that found Jesus there in that room. And not, that's not that that's where Jesus resides, but that's where you were when you met him and trusted him. And so it's a special place. 
It helped thousands of people during Harvey. You were able to hold by God's uh, sovereign plan, the walls taken down. You were able to have worship out there during COVID, right? Like who ever saw that coming? But now it's time to finish what we started. It's time to get back in the game. So we got to finish because one day those tables might be turned. We might need that place again if another storm comes. Hopefully this time, because it's up to code by God's grace, it's going to withstand it and we're going to be able to keep using it. But when those tables are turned, we need to be ready. Now, chapter nine, quickly. Giving hilariously. That's where we all laugh. Yeah, just uh, look at verse six. The point is this, he says in chapter nine. He continues talking about the collection in Jerusalem. Chapters eight and nine go together. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. There's the standard, okay, according to grace, what God has decided, how God has led you and decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. I so wish the English translators had put in the word hilarious, because that's what it means. It's a Greek word in that moment. That's where we pull our English word for hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may abound in every good work, as it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Friends, Paul motivated the church Further, by pointing them to the benefits that come from those who give generously and hilariously. Look at that. The first measure, the measure of giving is to do so bountifully. Bountifully. He says, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's careful to ground this final call to give as an act of obedience in the grace that we've been given in Christ. It's like baptism. It's an act of obedience because Scripture calls us to. We've experienced the grace of Christ and salvation. Now we follow through by testifying about baptism in the waters. And obedience is an expression of gratitude. It's an act of faith for this gift that we have received in Christ. It's not an attempt to earn more credit like, I'm not going to go put in my offering envelope this morning or give online so that, boop, I've made my deposit in the church. Therefore, now I have more grace to live and go do what I want to so that I can cash in when I sin. But we see this truth in everyday life. Look, the farmer puts out a bunch of seed. Why? If he puts out a bunch of seed, he's hoping for a bigger harvest. When we're tempted to hold back, we need to remember the baseline, the standard is God's grace in Christ Jesus. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things that we need? I'm not talking about that God's going to give you a whole uh, 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 treasury full of wealth and material things. But when you need it, God's going to provide it. The heart of giving is to be cheerful and hilarious. That's sowing with the right motives. Sowing seed with the right motives. We don't want to give in a, in a, in a place of reluctance where we're sad or we're, 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 there's an inward sorrow that we cry as we hand over that envelope or we click give online. We don't want to do so under compulsion, right? So this morning, if you feel like the preacher's making me feel guilty, I'm feeling guilt here for not giving enough, don't give until you're free of that because then you're doing so out of compulsion as if I forced you or pressured you to do it. We would also don't want to do it joylessly. 
I want you to pray over your offering. Pray about it. We've got heart work to tend to here. God wants us to give cheerfully. He wants us to give hilariously. He wants us to give purposefully, not impulsively. And he's looking for the believer who will give out of a sincere gratitude for what he's done. And friends, when we give that way, God multiplies that gift beyond measure. Then we also see the source of our giving. God, he is the source of our giving. One of the biggest obstacles, and I mean it's a really huge obstacle to giving, is the manner uh, overcoming worry. What if I don't have enough money for dot, dot, dot? What if an emergency comes up? What if I lose my job? Friends, what we have is not ours to begin with. And Paul reminded the Corinthians and us today that God is able to make all grace abound to you. How is that possible? Because his grace is abundant. He never runs out. His mercy never runs out. Look at verse 8 in chapter 9. And God is able, okay? Do you understand the word able in English? It means he's got the power to do it. He can Right? He doesn't like anything. He's not going to go have to go, go out and find some other God to help him out with this. He's got everything he needs. God is able to make all the grace to bound, abound to you so that having, look at this list, all sufficiency in all things at all times, all sufficiency, all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you know what that means? He created it all. It all belongs to him. He's got plenty of resources to make it happen. As I told you when I came, it's just in our pocketbooks. It doesn't mean that God's going to make every one of us wealthy if we have enough faith to sow our seeds so we send it in this preacher and he sends us a little bottle of oil from the Holy Land. It's not a gimmick. What it does mean is that every Christian who walks in Christ and gives by grace will always have exactly what they need when God deems it necessary to give it. And when we get that, it leads us to grow deeper into the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It leads you to trust him more. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Why? Because you're following the righteous one, Christ. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way way. It's not about material wealth here. It's about life and salvation and walking in the grace of God. And for that reason alone, it results in thanksgiving to God. That's the result. Look at verse 11 and uh, look at verse 12. For the ministry, excuse me, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When we give, we give with a grateful heart. There's a definitely a sense in all of this, which is a submission to God's word, but it's also a submission to the authority of God, and it's a response of love. Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. You know, if you think about it, this morning, we gave praise and we gave worship and honor to the Lord. Everyone in this room, if it was not for those folks that began this church, that started and planted this church 40 years ago, 
and those that faithfully gave when they were meeting in what is now a bunch of cramped little children's rooms next door here that have been remodeled, but they used to meet just right over there in a space much smaller than this. But they gave faithfully for seven years to see this building finished, to see the gym completed. We wouldn't be here without their generosity to see it happen. Now we've got to look forward to what's ahead of us and that there's some little ones around this morning that in 40 more years, some of us ain't gonna be here anymore but because of your faithfulness, future generations are gonna to get to what? Worship the Lord. There's gonna be thanksgiving given in Rockport, Texas because Coastal Oaks Church faithfully gave and gave out of the grace of God, not under compulsion. The church will glorify God when we submit to him and to the confession of the good news, which is the gospel. And from that submission to the gospel will flow generosity prayer for one another, and a final expression to the Lord. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.